Hey guys, as you know, I switched it up from seeking ads to asking you for your help. And if you head over to patreon.com slash Lord have mercy, you can join the one other person who has supported this podcast. Um, so excited to be putting myself in this position. And um, I hope you guys like the show enough to become a regular supporter. And now the show. Listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I bring you a conversation I had with a very special old friend of mine, Jesse Standifer. You know those conversations where you pick up where you left off and you don't even realize how much t- how much you actually miss the person? This is that conversation for me! Jessie Standifer is a musician, she's a doula, and she's lesbian, and she identifies as ex-evangelical and an all-out artist. This person is glowing with wisdom, and I hope you enjoy both her words and her music. And now, Jessie. I am making music. Um, I just released a music video um, with another lesbian artist. She's a, an MC, a rapper from Texas, and we collaborated on it. And the whole crew was queer folks and women. That's so um, that was really important. And we filmed in Times Square. It was really. I know. Really cool. I got to watch it several times. It's called Hi. Yeah. And you're like a cannabis activist now. What's that? <laughs> Well, more so, I am. I am about um, racial equality and, like, you know, having people's prison sentences pardoned okay. for being put away because of a small offense such as holding cannabis. So, it was more so a statement. I mean, I use it, but you know, not not really a lot. I use it more for like health reasons. Yeah. I think people should be able to use it for whatever they want. So, I guess if that makes me an activist, then sure. Um, <laughs> I totally agree, actually. <laughs> yeah, mostly it was um, a, about the idea of a white woman and a black woman standing together and and it being this this solidarity situation of like, I recognize that me doing this in public holds far less uh, consequence or potential consequence than it would for somebody that is black or brown and that is completely unjust and mm. I'm not going to just stand by and let that happen. Um, that I will stand with you and amplify those voices. So that was, that was a big part of the message. And the, the lyrics of high were written with, with that idea in mind. And we just, we just used cannabis as a, it was a beautiful metaphor because, you know, yeah. smoke is super cool on film. Um, so no, it's really it. pretty. <laughs> I think that that was a, a big reason why we wanted to use that metaphor, but it, the metaphor is for something greater um, and, and about solidarity of lifting one another higher and amplifying. Says All that wisdom right off the bat. I really love it. I personally hate weed. Oh my God. It's just <laughs> not my jam at all. But, I get it. Right? Uh, Alcohol is my drug of choice. Get it. Totally but get it. 
I totally believe that everybody else should be sharing mm-hmm. in the in the joy and fun. Totally. Um, thank you for your work, though. That's really cool. Yeah. Let's just take a listen to Hi for a minute. call your music conscious music what does that yeah. mean well um to me conscious music is is like you know not not a new thing it's um it's always popped up and gained more prevalence whenever the world feels like it's going down the drain and people want to use art to reflect that and talk about it um i think nina simone i believe said that an artist work is to reflect culture. And I really believe that and, um, sort of use that to 
guide me when I'm writing music and lyrics and even in the languaging that I use to talk about social issues and connect it back to music or vice versa. Um, that it's, it's just that every time that I'm writing, I have this acute awareness of what's going on in the world and mm-hmm. whether the, I guess, medicine that comes through the, the music is, is about joy in spite of that or joy in the face of it or love in the face of that or if it's true like like I have a song rise up that kind of goes directly into Mm -hmm. all of that and speaks pretty specifically to what's going on in the world um so I think for me conscious music is is really about about that it's about awareness and writing with awareness so that we're not existing in a vacuum snaps all around I think you know for me when I started song writing it was really about meditation Mm. um and prayerfully putting into lyrics, you know, just the things that were going on in my heart and in my life Mm. and in my experience. Um, But since that time where I did do Christian music, like I haven't come to a way of, of writing songs since then, you know, Mm. and I really like what you like the way that you've been able to, to, I don't know, just speak from your heart with, with your lyrics and with your words. I was listening to, um, your album EP and the last song is like my favorite. It's mm. so good. It's I'm so, so glad you like that one. Yeah. That's totally meditative. Yeah. So the, we met probably in like 2011, 2012. We were both very different people with very different paths. Yes. <laughs> really. We did. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Man, there was just so much going on with my family and trying to tell them um, how gay I really was and just trying to find my place in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, you were doing the same in in New York. Um, And your family, as I remember, your family was out in Cali. They they were in R, yes. Okay. And how did, yeah, how did that all play out? How did you end up in, in New York? It's so cool to talk to you right now because so much has happened since then. So we did meet in 2011. I think it was like the summer of 2011 Mm -hmm. because that's when EJ was um, and I were living together. And I had just come out to my parents a year before that. And that feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, it was. It was Mm -hmm. a lifetime ago. It was like, you know, my early 20s right after, you know, a couple years after college, a year after college, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and so much has shifted since then. I was definitely, like, as, as you said, I was definitely in this space of trying to figure out how to have a connection with them and love them and be in each other's lives, but still be really true to who I am and not compromise on that. Um, I moved to New York to go to school. I went to Wagner College, which is on Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> I dated somebody from Wagner. You oh did? Oh, my God, Yes. Yes. Bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of important things happen to me (laughs) there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, it was a interesting, definitely interesting experience to be on Staten Island. Um, So yeah, I went out there for school for music and performance and theater stuff. And, um, and that's where I came out to myself. I didn't come out to anybody else. I met a, a amazing, beautiful, super talented dancer that I just like 
fell for. And the unicorns, man, the unicorns. Totally. And we, um, neither one of us had dated women before. I hadn't dated anyone before. I um, have always had a really strong inner guidance system and not to mention purity culture really helped me out in that department. I oh, felt yeah. mm-hmm. no pressure to so date dangerous. men. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like Jesus told me not to. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just really focused <laughs> on school. This is not a problem for me. I'm so godly. <laughs> right? You get real yeah. righteous then. You're just like, oh, I don't know sure. why you guys can't your, get your lives in order. Absolutely. At all of my friends, I was like, what is the deal, guys? Like, can't you just focus? This is what the Bible says. <laughs> <laughs> like you should yeah. not be holding hands with that boy. You should be focusing on yeah. school and being a good Christian. Well, all those people are laughing problem. at us now for sure. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I definitely have a lot of humor around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I, she was the first person that I dated and it was like, of course, dramatic and tumultuous and I couldn't tell anybody and she I mean her family knew um and loved me and that was wonderful but um nobody at school knew so I wasn't I didn't have any deep connections in school um and none of my friends previously knew um from home and my family didn't know and um I really felt like I needed to wait till after I graduated it was too dangerous to to come out in college um because I, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, I thought that I would lose all, all support for mm-hmm. being there. Yeah. So, um, so I waited. I waited till after I graduated, which I guess it might have been 2009. Now that I'm really thinking about it, it was it was a, a summer. I think it was 2009, the summer of 2009 after I graduated. Um, and I uh, came out. I actually came out to my parents in like one of our little family getaway places, um, in person. But I, I think that moving to New York, it was just something inside of me knew that I needed to have distance to really like figure this part of me out. Cause I was so deeply committed to being Christian, to being evangelical Christian and the ideas that come with that. And, um, and really, really invested in making my family proud of me and, um, make helping our family like have a good name out in the world and me being the sort of like perfect picture of that. And so much to the point where I didn't know what I actually thought my own thoughts. Um, I know that when we first started hanging out, we were both like riding bikes around our cities and just like borderline hippie hipster, just like, I don't, I mean, like, we were just, we were, I mean, this is a comfortable word for me to use. I don't know if you would identify, but we were just, like, stinky kids. Like, we were just, like, just <laughs> playing. We did a yes. lot of playing, right? Yes. And, like, so at that point, obviously, something had started to unravel for you, right? Where you're yes. just, like, so bohemian. And that is so contrary to what you just said about what you were trying to accomplish with your family. So what happened? Absolutely. How did New York have that effect on you? It was, it was more so falling in love for the first time. When I oh. fell in love for the first time, mm. I felt the presence of God more than I ever had. And there, mm. I never had a moment when I was with my first girlfriend that I felt an internal sense of shame or guilt or shame or guilt from God. It was completely external from other people. Yeah. It was the most at peace and in alignment than, that I had ever felt. And also like electric and... Mm-hmm 
literally this, this like divine energy coursing through me, um, because I felt what this like pure love felt like in the face of like people saying I shouldn't, I still felt it. And I was really good at doing what people wanted me to do, but this was not, it was completely outside of it. And it might've been the first time that it was really something that was outside of what anybody else wanted me to do and told me that I should do. It was the first thing that maybe had ever been just something that I knew was true for me innately. And so I think that was definitely the start of it, but it was a slow process of unraveling because I still was trying to reconcile it with my family's belief system and my parents' belief system and my brother's. And knowing that the level of respect that they had for me would just plummet once they knew they wouldn't trust me anymore. They wouldn't think I had, you know, wisdom or, you know, a person they could come to for advice or any, like all of that. And it has, it's all just, none of that is our relationship anymore. And it was a huge part of our relationship before growing up. So I knew that I would lose all of that. And, and I did. But it was a, a long and slow process for me to get there. And a huge thing that helped was I actually, I searched high and low for a gay Christian Bible study. And I finally found one. And it was led by Ralph Blair. Um, he's a, a gay Christian apologist and like writes about, um, he's you know, an elderly gentleman. Mm-hmm. And I, I also, I, it was really important to me because I was still very, very invested in this like evangelical reading of the Bible, like very so-called um, like literal reading of the Bible, which yeah. like, I think that's, uh, I don't know. That's like, you it's still really like cherry picking and picking yeah. and choosing what is literal or not, but mm-hmm. I still was in that mindset. So I, I really did want to go to someone who was a theologian and like, was still really um, interested in dissecting the Bible and like the the ancient languages of the Bible that was written in like translations and like really getting into the deep roots of things, and so I went to this um, Bible study on the on the Upper West. I commuted in from Staten Island once, like I think every other week, and it was all middle aged gay men. I was the only girl, and I was the youngest, and they totally took me under their wing they would take me out to a diner after bible study to like talk and connect and hang out and they were the ones that helped me come out to my parents they helped me like come to understand that for me the best way would be to write a letter but give it to them in person so that they could process it but I would still be there if they wanted to talk about it um and they they told they were the only people besides my girlfriend that knew and they really, really helped. They were the perfect like bridge for me to get to that place where I could talk about it. Yeah, we all um, need our shepherds. I also had a shepherd. Really? Yeah, yeah, somebody who just kind of like I would go to her house. She was a mentor. I would go to her house like every other, like basically every weekend for like three months until I was mm. able to come out to my mom. But she was a pastor's wife, and um, I just talked to her on long walks when she was walking, when she was you know taking her. Um, newborn baby out for walks I would just you know and she told me some of the scariest things about my situation and but she listened um and she didn't shy away from um me being queer like she didn't she wasn't scared of it and she didn't use the bible as a weapon against me Mm. which is 
is is the thing that people need when they're in that vulnerable state you know and she definitely was a coach she definitely was like this is how you do it and you just need to just rip the band-aid off and do it Mm. and it took me three months to finally do it and I'm so glad I did you know because it introduced a time where you know I was learning more about myself and my family because of that of the uncomfortableness of the truth you know it has that power yeah 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 Absolutely. And I think so when we met, I had Whitney and I had broken up and I was then dating Heather, who you knew. Um, And that was the first time I think that I really started seeing myself separate from the evangelical identity, Mm -hmm. too, that I felt like I could. It was complicated. um, Yeah. 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 That I could still have faith and a connection with the divine and still. see the beautiful truths within the Bible and also see that there are beautiful truths in other ways of having faith and other spiritual texts and find the golden thread between all of that. So that Mm -hmm. suddenly I was able to expand my heart out to all people instead of just viewing this one small group of people as the people that have all of the right answers about God. That's really um, interesting that you would say that because I know that you're doing this work about uh, with trying to create visibility for um, people not like you. And did that time in your life inform maybe your, your whiteness more I mean and you like I don't know how you feel about feminism as well but like did those are those things what brought you to being able to write a song about cannabis <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that it did there's absolutely no way that I that I would have been able to see where my privilege is in the world and how that relates to other people and how I can use that to find greater connection than just like immediately going to like, we're all one and I don't see difference because that's not helpful, but (laughs) see like where we, where we all do come from and that it is, it informs who we are and our experience in the world and how the systems relate to us. And that acknowledging that actually can bring greater connection. There's no way I would have gotten there. Um, and my relationship with feminism, I'm a feminist, um, but my relationship with feminism, with um, being white, with being, you know, raised how I was and being gay, like the intersections of all of that and and where parts of my identities align and intersect with other people's. Um, yeah, there's no way that would have happened if I still was in a narrow-minded way of thinking about, uh, like, who you have to be and what you have to believe to be valid in God's eyes. Too complex, much too complex, too complex, much too complex, too complex, too 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 complex, too 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 complex. Do you have any Bible verses or texts that you still hold on to to today? I have this thing where I'll be walking through my house and maybe I'm processing something, you know, something big in my head and in my heart. And then all of a sudden I'll just start singing a song that I knew from when I was a kid, you know, in like Sabbath school, Sunday school, whatever. Um, And, you know, and I'll just really just have, and I I will forget that I'm singing this song, you know? (laughs) 
And I'm like, why am I singing this song? Where did this come from? You know, how does this, how does this even connect to the way that I'm processing mm. things, you know? Um, but it's like small things like that, like train up a child in the way she should go. And even when she is old, she will not depart from this. You know, that was a song, you know, and these, and these Bible verses, like they continue to grow with me, you know, yeah. like those like totally. little do you have that? Does that happen to you? Absolutely. I will get songs. And now Train Up a Child is now going to be stuck in my head all day. Um, but <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, songs, Bible verses. I was in Awana from preschool through high school. Do you know what – did you guys have Awana? Mm-hmm. It was like a Christian uh, – or the like evangelical Christian Protestant churches um, have this thing called Awana. It's like lots of Bible memorization. Um, and then they also have like games – game time so that it's fun for everybody but oh, we did have something similar to that uh i forget what it was called but yeah like there were games around memorizing the bible <laughs> yeah so we um I, I mean i have so much of the bible memorized in my head um, mm-hmm. because weekly i had to memorize new bible verses my entire life until i was 18 um are you so, ever grossed out by, uh, or, or like, does, do you ever feel skeeved out when you remember what some of those Bible verses, or are you at peace with that? You know, have they grown with yeah. you? I mean, I think that the more that I've become comfortable with myself being a controversial person, so like I can feel many emotions at once, I, that, and maybe they conflict with each other. I can have ideas that conflict with each other because I'm trying to work it out. The more that I'm at peace and comfortable with that aspect of who I am and and who I think all humans are, if they really get honest about it, um, the more I'm comfortable with the Bible having like conflicting ideas and viewpoints in it. And, um, and I think it does. And I think that the reason why we have hearts and minds is to be able to dissect those things and like come to terms with them. And, um, so it definitely has grown with me, but, um, but more so I like even, even train up a child in the way she should go and she will not depart from it. I'm, I constantly say that my parents made me who I am and Mm. they're not happy about it. They're not happy about this huge part of who I am, but they made me who I am. And so that Bible verse maybe is not like full of hope for people, if you really view it that way, that like, you know, if people are like train up a child in the way she should go and like she turns out a different way than you wanted her to like, well, (laughs) oh, well, like where is the lesson there? There's that flips the whole thing on its head. That puts the lesson then on the parents to come to terms and come to be at peace with who they've raised their child to be. I mean, it, it, from just an outsider looking in it, you, you're just a, an incredibly wise and strong person, right? I mean, I think most people who are listening would agree. Um, and how can your parents be mad at creating you or helping you to be, or fostering that in you mm-hmm. um, to become that incredibly strong-willed and strong and wise person? Um, to me, that's what the that's what the verse is saying. You know, right. like if if you give them strong morals and yes. um, a healthy sense of of like 
direction and trust in oneself um, using these tools that are also in the Bible, they will become magnificent and wonderful and give back to the earth and to their community, right? And that's exactly what you're saying that you have been able to do and your parents, because of like this tiny little like granular, yeah. you know, part of you, they can't, yeah. they can't accept it. Right. What would you say to people who are in that same exact place? Because that's, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a hole in my, I don't want to call this, I'll say ministry, quote unquote ministry sure. is that I don't like my mother has been able to accept me and my God, you know, um, and I just, I don't, I don't have the words to tell. I don't feel right telling people you'll be okay. You know, mm -hmm. go on, it'll be yep. fine. But like, what do you say to people who are in that same position of, you know, I feel really good about myself, but my parents don't feel really good about me. Yeah. And that is a, a I've found really unique position. I think a lot of people that don't have acceptance from their family go into really dark spaces. And I, I mean, I've, I've totally been there, but I'm still, I'm still alive and happy and thriving. And that is not a usual occurrence in the LGBTQ community. So, um, so yeah, it is really interesting to give advice of, from being from where I, from where I sit, where I stand. Um, I, I don't think that I, will ever arrive with this. I think that this is my lifelong practice. And I would mm. say that boundaries have been really important and I've learned a lot and grown a lot from having to set boundaries with my family and that if they don't view my interactions with them as loving, then that's not my fault. And to really let myself off the hook with that, that it's not and some people really do feel like it's my job to show up to my family and just like be there while they vent about whatever it is. And I can't, I personally can't do that. I'm way too sensitive and, um, it affects me so much that I, I will get physically sick over those conversations. So I've learned that I can't do that. So I've learned to give them resources. If you want, I've, I told them I've been through all of the Greek translations. And I have studied this issue. I have listened to theologians and I've listened to ministers and I have learned and I am at peace with this because I did the work. If you want to do the work, here are the resources to go to to learn about that. Yes. I can't do it now for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been really freeing because for a long time I was like trying to compile articles and resources in just so that in the back of my mind when they were like, we'll prove it, to a belief that I now hold or how I feel about myself or how much I accept myself that I can say, I don't have to prove it to you. You are now that's how I feel. But at the time I felt a lot of pressure to be like, well, this person said at this, on this date in this article or in this paper. And that's why intellectually you should now like accept what I'm saying. And that it, it, that's not how my mind works. Some people are really good at that. I don't work that way. Um, so it, it was really freeing to let all that go and know that I was doing the work I needed to do to be a healthy person and, and believe myself and believe what I know God thinks about me mm -hmm. and let them have their own process of investigation about that. Do you um, still see your family regularly, like for holidays and stuff? I do. I do. Is I, there like uh, a don't ask, don't tell? 
Um, sort of. I have been in since Heather and I broke up, I decided that I needed to have time as a, an out adult woman single because I'd never done that before. And yeah. I think it really stunted my my growth as a person who can show up fully in relationships as all of who I am and not just be in service to the relationship all the time mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know who I was. I came out and immediately was in a relationship and then immediately was in another relationship. So the past few years have been the first time that I've been an adult who is like confident in, in knowing that she's a lesbian and is able to like build community apart from a partner. So I now have this really rich, amazing, beautiful group of friends that are my family. And, um, and I feel like I'm going on a tangent now. I'm but, I, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was, so see, so I do see my family. Um, but it was, it's been a really interesting, um, experiment since being single, I guess, is what I uh, first thought of it as I was really interested to see if without a partner that they could blame everything on. Cause they blamed my girlfriends for like tricking me into being gay basically. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> just on them. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> and so, so I was cute. curious, <laughs> I was really curious to see how, how it would be to really try to get closer to them and let them know me alone as an individual without mm-hmm. a part. I'm really fiercely loyal and protective of people that I love. So without somebody that I was constantly feeling like I had to protect and be a shield for against my family if I could just show up as myself alone and um, them really understand that this is me. This is not somebody else's fault. This is who I am. And so that's been really interesting. And so I I was really committed to showing up to all the family things um, when when Heather and I first broke up and then for the several years following. Um, So I've really been you know, it's been important to me to go to as many family things as I can. Um, it's like hard being across the country, but yeah, I do see them. I, I know what my boundaries are. I know like how to say that I, I will be there, but I am going to need space. I'm, you know, I'm going to need to not be like constantly doing family stuff. I'm going to need to. Yeah. Is there, is there recoup? Yeah. Recuperate. I guess, I guess this question is just more for me as a friend do you have one, maybe one person in your family who, you know, you're going to see every single time or they're going to understand and they can make jokes about everything with you, (laughs) you know, like you need at least one person who's there for comic relief, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would be amazing. So I've been talking about my immediate family, which is my parents and my two brothers. I'm in the middle. So older and younger brother. Um, and I don't have any allies there. So anytime I go to a just purely immediate family function, um, I am pretty just alone. Um, and waving that tiny, tiny gay flag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do have allies that have come out of the woodwork in the past couple of years that have been Amazing. I have one cousin who Cousins first yeah, the 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 day I came out. Um actually two so one of my cousins, their sisters, and they're they're closest to me. One of them was there and she when I came out and she didn't know what was going on, so I told her and she was wonderful the that day and she called her sister who 
insisted on getting on the phone with me. And she was like, Jesse, you need to block everybody else's voices out and do what is true for you. You have to stay true to yourself. People are going to say horrible things to you and try to convince you that what is in their head is right, but they don't know what's going on inside of you. You have to listen to that. So she has been really like in solidarity the whole time. She, uh, I I don't know what she would say now, but for a while she would say, I don't know. I don't claim to know like what is between you and God and that is up to you. So it wasn't like Mm -hmm. all the way over to, yeah, I don't like, no matter what I think that let's go to pride together. Woo. Yeah. Not like it's not there. Um, and maybe it, I don't know where it is right now. She's we're really close right now though. Um, and I think that both of us have, have grown in our journey that I don't need that. Mm -hmm. Like, as much. Um, so how she was at the beginning was amazing and perfect. And then, um, I have an aunt and uncle that, um, I mean, just, they met Heather actually, and, um, were totally wonderful. They were like, we are so just sad about your parents' reaction and like how they are treating you. And we're so sorry. And you always have us. So I've had these little like glimmers I have a cousin on the other side who actually, he might have been the first family member that knew and he met my first girlfriend. He's my little cousin. And he was always just like, I love you. And so I love whoever you love. And he just like, it was so simple. Yeah. So I do have these like beacons and actually my grandfather on my dad's side, um, he's my last living grandparent and he I, I ended up telling him a couple of years ago. So when I came out to my parents, they told everybody. I didn't get a chance to come out. My to mom my did the family. same thing. She told my extended family, but not yeah. like my brothers and sister. That's nice. They they told my brothers. Okay, so, great. Yeah. So that day was sort of the end of my relationship with my parents and my brothers. And I will probably forever be processing that because my brothers and I were best friends and I would have liked to have that conversation myself and instead all of these ideas built up because we didn't talk Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that we're still feeling the repercussions about that today like eight nine years later yeah you must know that the stars are gleaming in your eyes and you must know that conspires to see your beauty a life for all the world to see it and you must know that life is yours and
talked about, I think, the spirituality that you find in sex and sexuality. Um, and I guess even if I'm just, I'm just, I'm also talking about how you described falling in love, um, a very spiritual thing that connected you to God. Um, now that you are single, how does your singleness uh, inform your, this kind of sex that you're having and the kind of sex that you want to have? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think that it was like almost <laughs> like a gateway drug falling in love to help me feel like that connection to Don't God. Don't say that. And then, really, <laughs> and then I really had to, as a single person, know that that connection with God is not dependent on another person. Mm. So to feel that level of connection. So I really had this process of seeking out a way to find that connection through my connection with myself. And so, um, that, and, and I'm like a, I, I'm like a romantic and it's hard for me to just like be casual with people. I have, and I've had like really deep casual relationships the past few years, which have been so important to me. So it's been really good to learn how to not get totally wrapped up in a person, but to be like, we care about each other. And this is temporary. This yeah. is like in the moment. And that's okay. Fun and beautiful. It's totally okay. And it was really, it's been really, really healthy for me to have those experiences. Um, so that I don't just completely leave myself behind and become the person that can be with somebody else. I need to bring who I am along for the ride <laughs> for the yeah. relationship. Um, so it's, and I think that I did that to some extent with my first two serious relationships because I didn't know who I was yet. So mm -hmm. I just immediately was like, well, I feel all these really deep feelings for you. So we, we must be meant to be together and I will do whatever it takes to, for us to be together, even if that means not being myself anymore. And so being single has, I don't have anybody asking me to be anything other than I am. My friends know this this that I'm trying to practice this in my life so they really encourage me to be exactly who I am and I encourage them to be exactly who they are and so it's been a really important um, learning experience for me to to be just fully who I am and be like I think that when I meet people now that I feel a deep connection to and it doesn't happen that often for me um, but when I do I, I have learned that it's okay, just like I am okay with them bringing all of who they are, it's okay for me to bring all of who I am. And if they don't like how complicated and passionate and like emotional and also like voracious, like all these things about myself, if it's too much for them, then it's not right. And so to bring all of that to to the table has been really important. And I think that that ties back into um, how I feel connected to, to God and spirit and faith um, because I, I think that the truest way I can express God and spirit into the world is through exactly who I've been created and made to be. And so if I'm cutting off any of that, any of that spirit energy, mm. then I'm not, 
I've cut off my connection to, to source, to spirit. Mm. Um, so it's been really important for me to keep practicing doing that. It's not always easy, but, um, but yeah, it's been really important. And, and now when I have, you know, these have a deep connection with somebody, um, it's, it's like even, it's even more because I'm already connected. I already have that with myself. So being that, um, what's the word I'm looking for present in relationships requires there to be a lot more time, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, cause you have to do a lot of checking in with yourself. It slows things down when you're asking, Ooh. am I being real? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I think I, I share a similar way of being or, or previously being in relationships where there's just a lot of withholding and waiting and mm. withholding. Yes. Meanwhile, giving and doing and giving and doing. And then when you can't take it anymore, all of it comes out, mm. you know, and it's just like, I didn't know this was who you were because you didn't tell me, you know, yes. no, this is what you needed because you didn't tell me. Yes. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with, with, purity culture because it's this this wanting to be subservient wanting to be obedient and good you know and helpful and oh my goodness all these things I'm thinking about this so much yes so the double whammy for me purity culture and savior complex mm. my savior complex can go off the charts it's in check now I feel really healthy in that area of my life but certainly as a young adult, I was just looking for people to save when I wasn't looking for people to like save spiritually and like convert to be Christians. I was looking for like tortured souls to, to save and make their life better. Mm. And it, it's just the worst. It's the worst because then I don't, I don't know how to ask for what I need if mm. I'm constantly like prying open other people to mm -hmm. tell them what, to tell me what they need um and making almost like coercing them into intense vulnerability so that I can like help them and save them meanwhile they don't know who I am except this person that's helping them and then and then it gets all flipped on its head because it's like now I want you to like love and accept me for who I am but I never told you who that is yeah, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm so, mad at you <laughs> totally um, totally. So I thankfully have had lots and lots of time to, to like process through that. And at least I'm very acutely aware of when those, like, like my antennas go up, my savior mm -hmm. complex, like antennas go up. I can Real be like, chill out. It's not your job. It's not your job. Yeah. There's a such thing as healthy support mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is not it. So <sighs> dial it back. Oh, it's um, so and then, hard. yeah. And then the purity culture thing is super it's super interesting. I, I'm still like really unpacking all of that because it was so much around sex with men that when I had sex with a woman, I didn't feel any guilt about it. Mm. So I don't, but I do think that there is like things I'm unpacking around, um, even how, like to view sex as a beautiful thing in and of itself. It doesn't have to be uh, like rebellion or like, uh, uh, like I'm breaking rules or like, it's been really important for me to try to separate those ideas. And, mm. 
I think there's a thing in queer culture that sex is thought of as exciting because it's breaking rules. And I'm trying to unpack that so that I don't Mm. have to feel like there's anything, anything wrong with what I'm doing. Um, How do you do that? Are you actually, are you like in therapy or is, (laughs) I need to be in therapy. Everyone needs to be in therapy. It's hard for me (laughs) to find a therapist that, that I connect with. So I'm, I'm like on the, on the Mm. hunt. If anyone wants to volunteer, (laughs) <laughs> let me know <laughs> yeah we'll pass it along to the podcast if someone's like I can help you honey yes yes I'm open <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll both take them up on that right um what what meditation habits do you have or like how do you feed um this the spiritual side of you or mm-hmm. you know how do you come to rest in your spirit do you I... go to church or do you just like I don't regularly go to a church building. No. Um, I meditate regularly. And um, that has been, that's absolutely my centering. I do yoga too. Um, I love moving my body. That helps me a lot too, to center. But being still and quiet and just listening in meditation is is my, my number one top of my list for sure. And I remember when I started meditating, I would say it was like 2012. My parents were so freaked out and they, I mean, there's this whole idea about yoga and like the, the mudras and like things and saying, om that you're inviting evil spirits in like they're evangelical Christians. It's too pagan. It's too heathen. It's too (laughs) anything other than what prayer is like. what worship is like yeah and so I I just it it was again another thing that I felt so sure about and there are bible verses to back it up like literally Jesus in the garden was meditating was listening he wasn't asking I mean I guess he said if it be your will take this cup for me but then he was preparing and meditating for what he knew his life was holding for him and Jesus in the desert, same, same, meditated for a freaking fort. He went on a meditation retreat. And so (laughs) I was like, to my parents, I was like, when we pray, like, I feel like in this evangelical Christian culture, there's so much emphasis on prayer, which is talking and talking and talking and asking and like pleading and begging and apologizing and like so much work. Because we're so lowly and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what about listening? And meditation is listening. Yeah. It's being humble and putting all of that aside and just being open and available to a divine presence. And so I, I said, mm. I think that's really important and I know I need to be doing that. Yeah. And, so and with I the listening, like it, there's always a, 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 a part of it that is ritual, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it has, it comes with movement. It comes with creating some kind of significance around the listening yeah. part of the conversation. Yeah. Wow. There's, I mean, for me, there's always just been this connection between meditation and prayer. The roots mm-hmm. are the same. The actions are the same. I don't know how they got so far apart yes. from each other, yeah. like politically, right. um, <laughs> but it's the same goddamn thing. It's the it same is. Thing. I know. I know. That's what I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. 
yeah, meditation is very important to me, um, to be open to receiving guidance and, um, yeah, there's this, I think that a huge hang up for evangelicals is, um, the idea that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And like, you know, the, the, (laughs) what verse is that? What verse is that? You know what? I'm totally blanking right now. Good. It's okay. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) probably freaking Romans or something. Feel that Um, therapy of not knowing. It's just so wonderful. Great. Actually I do. I celebrate every time I'm like, I don't, I don't remember the next word. This (laughs) this is amazing. (laughs) Um, but I, I think that that really, uh, makes people fearful of meditation in the evangelical community because you're putting your mind and your thoughts aside. And if you can't follow your heart's guidance, then they are completely relying on logic and reason and the mind, which I personally think is just as changing as emotions because logic and reason are pathways to a conclusion. But if you already have a foregone conclusion, then logic and reason are just going to take you there. They're not going to take you to, they'll take you to the truth that you've already decided on. So mm-hmm. that's why I think meditation is so important because you're putting your mind and your, 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 your thoughts, your already decided truths aside, and you're being open to a new way of feeling and thinking and seeing the world. And that's really key for me is to approach every situation with curiosity and an openness to learning something. You just seem so calm and like ready to take on the world. It's, it's really nice. It's really nice to sit and talk to you. We should do this more often. I need it. I know. It's so cathartic to talk about it because I don't have a, a community that has the background that I do as much. That's why I was so excited about the app that you created and yeah. this podcast. It's so incredibly important. And it's a big reason of for why I came out the way that I did. I didn't want to just come out and push all of that, my beliefs aside and push my relationship with God aside just because everyone told me they weren't compatible. I felt that it was so important to do the work to find a way of how to be gay and Christian Mm. and so that other people could feel the freedom to do that if they wanted to as well. And so when I saw the work that you're doing, I, that I was so excited about that because I, you know, my spirituality, I think is a lot bigger than just defining it by being Christian. But for some people being Christian is what feels so in alignment and right for them. And same with being Muslim or Jewish, that's how they feel closest to God Mm -hmm. and they should be able to, there should be support for that. Amen. Um, Yeah. Where can people find you? I am all over social media and the internet. Um, Internet. Instagram and Twitter is at Jesse Standifer. So that's just my name. And I'm also on Facebook. You can search Jesse Standifer there. I have an artist page um, on Facebook. And same with YouTube. And they can download the album? They can. All of my music is on Spotify. You can stream it there. You can stream it on iTunes, download it on iTunes, Amazon Music, all of the places. And my last question was, are you performing anywhere anytime soon? I just had an amazing pride show and it was super, super fun. And I am now, and it was like very like 
poppy and dancey and so fun. And I've been wanting to work up that show for a while. So I was really excited to do that. And now (laughs) this is my personality. I'm like, let's do one extreme and then let's do the other one. So now I really want to work on a show that is just cello and voice and maybe a couple other things, Mm. maybe some lights, percussion. Um, So I'm working on a very intimate acoustic show and I'm hoping to do it this fall in New York. So I will. That sounds so lovely. Let me know about it. I would love to. I will. Cool. Yeah. That's so Uh, dope. You can find me at Crystal Cheatham on Twitter. If you haven't already, check out our Bible app and please subscribe. It totally helps us a lot. And last but not least, I'd love it if you hit up the patreon.com slash Lord at Mercy and shared a little bit of love. Thank you so much for tuning in. And that's our show. Okay, bye.